0: Hello everyone, thanks for joining in. I am Shubha Kankaria and welcome to episode 7 of Dastai Rahi. It is a travel talk where we get to know about amazing places through wonderful stories of various travelers. So our today's guest is a business consultant, environmentalist, travel writer and an author. Uh, his writings has been published in various travel magazines and uh, newspapers, both nationally and internationally. He has been to more than 15 countries and he pens down his experiences in his blog called Hand of Colors. Today, he's going to share his stories from Spiti, Israel and Kenya. So guys, without any further delay, let's get on board Akash Mehrotra. Hi, Akash.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: Good, good. How are you? I'm doing good. Okay, so to begin with, um, Akash, tell us how how your passion for traveling actually began.
1: Uh, Okay, it's a long story actually. Actually, it began with my college. In our college, as you have rightly mentioned, I work in the field of environment. I studied in Indian Institute of Forest Management. So we used to have two compulsory trainings with which we used to go around like travel for almost fifteen days each every year, and go around and learn things about environment, community, forestry, and rural management, all of those aspects. So there was a time I got a lot of insights into you know the rural life of India, and uh, that, that's how the passion for traveling started. Then I got into a job which required a lot of traveling. Uh, it was a research-based job. And uh, in the field of natural resource management, uh, and it required a lot of traveling. And since then, it's been eight years I've been working and my work has involved a lot of traveling. So some of the countries I've gone out for work, like Kenya, I've been for work, Bangladesh, uh, Indonesia. Traveling has been a parallel activity with work. So my work took me to places. So uh,
0: that's how long it is. Very interesting and sounds like a very interesting profile also, like and I'm sure it has taken to you to very
1: remote places also. Yes, it has. It has. And that's been the best part of it. Not just the remote places, but also exposed me to a lot of cultures, especially like for example, say the tribal uh, areas of India. So mm-hmm. places where usually they do not exist in the tourist map, but I went there and I learned a lot from there. So It has been quite a journey of learning and educating myself along with traveling.
0: Very interesting. You know, you are an environmentalist, like you said. So, have you come across any incidents or experiences in your travels which made you feel that it is very important to, you know, care about our environment as a traveler also? So, has that any time came across?
1: Yes, in fact, it has. So, let me... um, share a story from Spiti. I went there in 2018, I think. One of the things that I realized while going to Spiti was about climate change, the lives of people over there. And in fact, climate change is part of their daily conversation. So they might just sit together with you over dinner and uh, some conversation around climate change may start. So their problem was about erratic weather conditions. The snowfall has gone less. The temperatures are now higher, especially in this season, like July and August, the temperatures go higher. And it's wetter than before. And it's affecting their livelihoods. It's affecting the agricultural pattern of that place. And also because if there's less snowfall, it will lead to water scarcity as well. So right. this climate change is a part of their lives. Likewise, there are other places like in tribal zones, if you go, you will find the same set of conversation. So they, they don't use the word climate change as such, but they will yeah. keep talking about, you know, how environment is changing and it's affecting the, the water uh, available to their crops, uh, the cropping pattern has changed. All of things are there. Similarly, I went to an area called Majuli. Majuli is a river island in Brahmaputra in Assam, near Jorhat. From Jorhat, you have to take a ferry and then you go to Majuli. Now, Majuli has been—I uh, mean, the size of the Majuli—it's—it's it's literally submerging and. Uh, Every year, a part of Marjali submerges So the villagers know this, and they know for a fact that one day, because of climate change, they will have to evacuate the island, leave everything that's there in the island, and come to the mainland. And uh, it's going to happen in another, say, 20 years or so. So in these places, climate change is a part of their lives. So when you travel to these places, you understand, you know, like how things are changing, how our world is changing. And how we are responsible for this aspect.
0: Very true, very true. And I think these places are seeing them in front of their eyes. Like even we are facing it, like a little bit of weather change, climate change, but it's not very much evident, like, okay, you know, there's a climate change. But I'm sure these places they are able to see the changes drastically. So that's that's something (laughs) of concern for them also and for us also. Do you think you can do as as a traveler anything? you feel like we can do as part of our
1: gesture to do things? I think one of the most important things as a traveller is first to understand uh, the ethics of responsible travel. Travel, And so we go there, we are not adding to the burden of those places. You know, I went to Europe and in various places in Europe, like when I went to Netherlands, I was in Amsterdam at that time and there was a protest going on which said tourists not allowed to. Okay. Uh, a city like Amsterdam, which uh, literally hosts a lot of tourists every year, in fact, more than the population of the city, right. uh, it's, it's coming on the street and saying that tourists should not be there. And this is a pattern across uh, European cities. It has happened, such protests have happened in Madrid, such protests have happened in Venice. They don't want tourists to come because it's, it's an added burden for them. Right. Similarly, for example, in, in places like we all have seen how Shimla, Manali, and all of these places have been destroyed because of over-tourism. So responsible tourism is definitely something that you should practice as a traveler. We should go to places, we should go and stay, for example, in homestays with people, learn their stories, try to know more about how they are coping with the things that are changing. And, you know, as a practice, we should leave as less footprints as possible. You know, that old saying that uh, take memories back and don't leave anything, something like that. So this is something that we need to literally put in practice, that we go there, we do not leave things back. We actually just bring back nice memories from that place and hope that those places, you know, stayed for forever. And those are the gems
0: yeah i mean we need to protect them and conserve them for the coming generations and uh, if we are we destroy definitely. them then then they won't have anything to look for
1: <laughs> and uh, this responsibility should not be like limited to just traveling it should become a part of our life right. so whatever we do whatever action you know we are doing we should think about the consequences in terms of ecological footprint as well
0: Correct, correct. Very true. So, Akash, moving on, I was going through your blogs and uh, I realized that you are a history buff. Is that true?
1: I mean, a good word to say, I like history, definitely. I love to like put a lot of historical facts and figures in my blog as well. And in fact, I try to go to places which have some sort of a historical connection because, you know, you are ultimately looking for stories when you are traveling. So those are stories have to come out.
0: Great. So can you can you like would you like to tell us about any one place, especially in terms of history, which is very close to your heart, or you want to talk about okay. it?
1: Okay. So as I say, there are three mystical cities that I have been to, and mm-hmm. I use the word mystical because you know because of the history and the culture that these places have. One is Delhi where I live, mm-hmm. second is Istanbul, the eternal city as I say, and third is Jerusalem. So okay. all these three for me are the mystical places. Obviously there would be more but I've been to these three and so they are. So are very close.
0: Okay and you want to talk any any particular incident stories from any of these places?
1: Oh, I can go on and on about Jerusalem because somewhere that place has uh, literally touched me. Okay. I mean, it's it's not just about the history or culture. It's also about how the place, for centuries, it has somewhat remained the same. So when you go to the walled district of Jerusalem, like the old city of Jerusalem, you can still find shades of everything. Like, you know, the, these are the places where Jesus Christ had walked. In fact, I took... The entire pilgrimage route where Jesus Christ had walked with a guide and he fell seven times over there. And ultimately, you know, he was uh, put on a cross. So all of those places and you know, the sort of literally like shiver running down your spine sort of a thing when you hear that story. I mean, it's a culmination of three religions, Islam, Judaism and uh, Christianity and uh, Jews. So it's a sacred place for these all the Abrahamical religions, as you say. So it's definitely special. I went there with, with a guide to the Jewish quarters. The guide told me about the orthodox ways of the ways of living of the Orthodox Jews and how Orthodox Jews are different from the other Jews and it's amazing to hear all of those stories. So there are different quarters. there is one quarter for Jews, there's one Muslim quarters where you get all the nice food. There's one Christian quarters, which from where the pilgrimage route starts, there's one quarters for Judaism religion with all the relics of that. There's a Holocaust museum over there, which tells you about World War II, literally takes back to you, you to those places. So that means it's very special. And so there's a church of sepulture over there, which is uh, the church where Jesus Christ was put on a cross and he died. And there are various sects of Christianity there. So there's a Syrian Christian, there is an Orthodox Greek Christian, there's an Orthodox Christianity sect. So there are five or seven Christianity sects over there. And uh, the authority to open the church and close the church in the evening is given to a Muslim guy. Oh, so, okay. it's a Muslim, yeah. so it's a Muslim religion, actually. It's, it's a group of people in the Muslim religion who have the responsibility of opening and closing the church Because the different sects, they don't want to literally have like an infighting among themselves about it. And it's also sort of a symbol of how different religions can coexist in a place. Right. So that's the way it's so amazing. And in fact, not just Jerusalem, a lot of places in Israel are equally important as far as history is concerned. I went to a place called Ako, Ako or Aka, and this is the place where the holy wars were fought. And there's an old uh, theory that the holy grail. So the holy grail of the Christians, it was lost to the religious wars in this particular city, this particular town. And uh, then there's another place called Haipa. Now, when I went to Haifa, there are Arabic quarters over there. So these are old quarters. I took a guide, and then the guide took me along, and uh, we landed up in front of a particular house. And he asked me to, like, you know, have a look at the house and tell me if there's something interesting. So it was a normal house as such, a door and, you know, some paintings here and there on the walls. So there wasn't anything that's striking. And then he told me that the painting just above the door, a very small painting, like the size of a palm it inspired a novel. It was a love story of an Arabic girl, a Muslim girl, and a Jewish boy, okay. uh, written in something around 60s, 1960s or seventy or something. And that became one of the most important Israeli literature ever created. And
0: the picture was the inspiration,
1: you mean to say. The, yeah, the picture was the inspiration
0: interesting. (laughs) So I'm just
1: saying that, you know, these are the things that uh, when you go to old towns or uh, old cities like this, you will find hundreds of such uh, stories. And as a traveler, I do love to listen to these stories. I do love to document these stories. And that's why history somewhere inspires me so much, because it's just a place for so many stories.
0: Very true. And I think when you go to these historical places, you really need to have a guide. I mean, you won't get the essence <laughs> of that place if you don't have one.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, moving on, I also got to know about one very interesting place when I was going through your blog, and that was Giraff Menor. That, oh. <laughs> that place, I know that place is so popular on social media and you see all <laughs> the that. So, I want to know how that experience like
1: what exactly the place is popular about, the people who don't know. Okay, okay, sure, sure, sure. So one, Giraffe Manor is definitely a special place. It's an unforgettable memory. Completely an unforgettable memory. And uh, it's in Kenya, Nairobi. Giraffe Manor, as the name says, it has some connection with Giraffe. Now, the connection is that every morning and every evening, the giraffes come from the forest, from the sanctuary, and they visit the manor, and you can feed the giraffe there. Wow. So, I mean, you must have gone through pictures like giraffe is peeping inside the window and eating from the plate of a visitor. Yeah. So, my experience was uh, I was there in the evening, I was feeding giraffes the barley millets that you feed them in the evening. So, I got a chance to like literally come up close and personal with giraffes. And these are not some giraffes; these are adults, child giraffe, which is one of the endangered species. So the sanctuary nearby, the sanctuary at the back of Giraffe Manor, is one of the sanctuaries where the breeding program goes on. So these giraffes came, and uh, I fed them. I fed them pellets, and there's one of one of my pictures in which i i literally have a pellet on. Uh, in my mouth, and the giraffe is taking it from my mouth. So it's oh. almost like a kiss. But yeah, it's, it's a very special place. I mean, it lets you go close to the giraffe. So yeah.
0: So it is situated inside a sanctuary, or how is the location like?
1: I mean, you may say so. It's. Um, Sanctuary is just at the back of it. So maybe it is in the middle of the sanctuary or it's just at the outskirt of the sanctuary and the sanctuary starts from there. So it's like that. It's uh, Some of the workers in the giraffe panel, they go and call giraffe in the morning and evening. Uh, probably giraffe know what the timings are and they come by themselves right. <laughs> uh, to take. Uh, and these barlades are actually high calorie things. And so giraffes love it because of the taste.
0: Okay, they're like what biscuits, sort of, or what? Like
1: they're like biscuits, yeah.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Giraffe biscuits.
0: Yeah, and can you also stay at that property, Giraffe Manor?
1: Yes, yes, you can stay. Oh, okay. I mean, they—I think they have like very limited uh, rooms, uh, ten or fifteen rooms only, where you can stay.
0: Okay, okay, and how expensive is that? An important question. <laughs> uh, it's
1: quite expensive. Uh when i went there it was something like a 750 dollars a day a night sorry
0: oh fifty dollars dollars is expensive
1: yeah you know the experience
0: yeah i know i mean i obviously the experience is all worth it but uh, yeah so i mean you had this encounter with giraffes, so definitely you have been to Africa. And when we talk about Africa, definitely animals come in the picture. So, any oh other encounters with uh, animals over there in Africa?
1: I mean, definitely. I mean, the first time I went to Nairobi, so the Nairobi Airport, the John Kenyatta Airport, it's next to Nairobi National Park. Okay. And so, when you leave for the city. If you're lucky, you might just spot a wildebeest or a zebra right there, (laughs) just next to the road or maybe on the road. Uh, We started it. It was my first day. in Kenya. I had landed up over there and uh, I was making my way to the city and there was a huge traffic jam. And it was such a huge traffic jam that I literally got out of my cab. I went to a nearby cafe. I finished my coffee and then came back and the jam was still on. The car hadn't moved at all. Oh, okay. so after like four hours or four, four and a half hours or something, I reached my hotel. The day was done. I didn't care about it because jams are pretty common in Nairobi. The next day, I reached my office. I picked up the newspaper, and the newspaper mentioned uh, about the traffic jam. And you'll be amazed what caused the traffic jam. There were four lions which had come out of the Nairobi National Park, and they were sitting on the main road, like the highway. Oh. The, the traffic jam was caused because of that.
0: That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, they were sitting on the road, like, yeah, and everybody actually stopped and nobody moved for, for that It's time. a
1: lion, it's a lion, <laughs> So no one was there,
0: yeah. True, but then, uh, that's very really interesting. Like, people stopping by and uh, taking care of animals, and because even in India, you see, like lot of roads we know that those are part of somewhere in the you know in the forest or something but I don't think mm-hmm. we stop or anything like right? it doesn't happen no. that way.
1: Well, Well if there's a tiger then people will stop.
0: Yeah I mean that's an exception.
1: <laughs> but, still. but you know the exception part was that it's a highway mm. it wasn't some road. It was yeah. a highway and the highway was literally blocked by four lions. It's a rare thing. I just get jealous of the people who were in the first, you know, just next to the yeah. uh, lions or whatever. The yeah, sort of picture that they would have thought or something.
0: Yeah, I mean, just like so close and you can't move and you can't get out. At least you were able to get out and have something.
1: Yeah, actually. I'm. Yeah, I got out, I had my coffee and then came back. <laughs> yeah,
0: very but true. That was
1: That was amazing. And then in Kenya, I've been to a lot of national parks as well. I went to the Great Migration, which happens between the Masai Mara and Serengeti National Park yeah. over the Masai River. The spectacle that you usually see in um, Discovery TV or uh, Discovery Channel or Animal TV, where millions of wildebeest uh, they cross from one side of the park to the other side. So they usually cross from Tanzania to Masai Mara, and then they cross from Masai Mara to Tanzania when it's, everything is depending on which side of the park has better grasses to graze on. Right. Right. So we went there, we had uh, amazing views of these wildebeest crossing the river. Mm-hmm. And uh, those were the things that I've always seen on uh, television and always wanted to like, it was one of my bucket list that, yeah, yeah I want to go and have a look at it. And there I was having a look at it. So that was an amazing, uh, another unforgettable experience. So Africa has given me many such experiences, for sure. And you have
0: been in what all countries in Africa?
1: In Africa, I have been to Kenya. I basically stayed in Kenya for a lot of time. I went to Tanzania, then I went to Senegal and Uganda. Uganda, I was there only for a very, very brief period. Okay. But I mostly was in Kenya.
0: Okay, and I'm sure your work has taken you to places. Yes, yes. you...
1: It was my work. Uh, I was almost there for a year.
0: Wow, <laughs> that is exciting. Yeah. Okay, so Akash, um, we are almost at the end of our talk, but I want to ask you one last thing. So you have so many amazing travel experiences. Have you ever had any experience which you which felt that it was completely speechless. Any any such kind
1: of incidents? Um, I mean, a lot of places have been uh, have given me that sort of feeling, completely speechless sort of thing. Going all the way to Nagaland was a completely speechless experience. Is, uh, seeing so many traditions and cultures over there, and yeah. how in such a small state you have like almost thirty different tribes with different cultures and traditions. So that was completely, you know, mesmerizing sort of thing. One experience I must share over here is uh, one is from Kenya, where which is my first hitchhiking experience in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I hitchhiked uh, from central Kenya, which was Niva Safari Conservatory, from there to Nairobi, I hitchhiked and came back. Mm-hmm. And then there was another experience when I went to Seychelles. I was supposed to return from Tanzania to India and I thought now that I'm leaving Tanzania, I should, you know, go to Seychelles and then come back to India. I'll try to spend some two, three days over there and then I'll come back to India. Yeah. Now, when I went to Seychelles, a crisis unfolded. Okay. And so I used to have like two debit cards of that type. And it's like four, five years back when digital payments weren't that. Uh, I mean, though Kenya has been like the place where digital payments, the concept of mobile payments burst. But uh, Seychelles did not, wasn't there at that time and plus I did not have Seychelles local SIM to okay. make any mobile payments. So I only have two cards on which I could depend on. Okay. One card stopped working oh. and somehow it has stopped working. And it's, it's okay, I had another card, a spare card. You know. I went to the ATM on the airport. And I tried to use it, and the debit card went inside the ATM machine. Oh. So now I was left without two cards, and I had like some dollars only in my pocket. I had not made any reservations. Uh, now, that was one lesson that I learned over there do not wait for the last time, make <laughs> your reservations in everything. I did not have any reservations.
0: Yeah, I and literally. Jeff is this kind of a honeymoon? destination or you know romantic destination and uh, I think it's full always I, I think so I
1: mean, yeah and this romantic destination actually turned a horror destination for me because okay. I did not have any money what to do now I was faced with the situation how to you know, be there uh, which place to stay in or what to eat because I had very limited money and who to ask I can't ask anyone yeah. so obviously I had to make between a decision between staying somewhere and uh, eating food and stuff. And also I have to go and travel a bit because you have landed up in Seychelles. Right. You cannot just not travel over there. So I have to save money for all that. I literally stayed in one of the shacks over there and uh, just outside the shacks. Uh, so someone gave me some space to live,
0: to stay okay.
1: <laughs> for the night and I stayed there.
0: So you actually so stayed that in the shack bad. for the night? Yes. Okay. <laughs>
1: Sounds like fun. <laughs> no, not one night, actually two nights. Okay. <laughs> so okay. I was literally spending my night on the beach and saving money so that I can eat the next day. <laughs> wow. And you know, sessions are expensive. Everything is expensive over there. Even even a water bottle is so expensive over there. I mean, the only less expensive thing is fish, uh, the fresh batch. Right. And uh, okay, so... Even that costs some money. So you have to have some money with you. So that I think that decision was already made by me that, okay, I'm going to lead a homeless life for two nights. It's okay. But obviously, I can't do without uh, eating something. So I had like very less money in my wallet at that time. Thankfully, I kept my bag, the big bag, on the airport in a safety wall. And uh, I had a very small bag to take care of and a camera bag to take care of. I mean, apart from all the memories that I have, all the pictures of uh, Seychelles that I have, I mean, all those pictures are nowhere compared to you know the whole idea of staying homeless for two nights there in Seychelles. Like, your amazing plans for a holiday being ruined in uh, such a regal style.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but how was your experience like on staying on, or for two nights on a shack?
1: Like, what was the experience? I mean, I mean that guy, I must say, you know, sometimes, uh, like you say, that ki Ishwar is ki Ishwar or something. So, uh, I'd rather say that guy was something like that who offered me space outside his small shop or something. That, you know, here you can lie and here you can spend your time or whatever. He gave me something yeah so that, that that's quite a um, i was literally very grateful to that guy he helped me that day and i survived <laughs> i stayed there yeah,
0: very I mean, great memory kind experience like that that person gave out the place for you and you kind of yeah. managed through it i mean sometimes
1: you definitely do find very nice people in in these strange lands and then you're whole uh, faith on uh, humanity is restored in that very moment. <laughs> okay. There are nice people. There are nice people in this world. Yeah. I mean, as a traveller, I have faced quite a lot of those. I, I, I was in Bangladesh uh, where I actually met some very, very nice people. But one of the good things was that people were nice over there and they, people were very grateful to me over there because I'm an Indian. Acham. And so one of the persons, I was in Chittagong, and he helped me to find a place, uh, find a hotel. And he said, oh, I'll take you, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And I was a little amazed that, you know, I can find a hotel by myself, that's not a big deal. But yeah. uh, then he later told me about, you know, the 1971 war and how he is grateful to India because India was involved in that war and we liberated Bangladesh. Uh, so he was grateful because of it. And I was, that was really touching that you know, at what level we have touched people's lives, where you know, the sort of leadership or diplomacy that we showed at that time nineteen seventy-five. So, So, mean, that very moment, I became a huge fan of Indira Gandhi. <laughs> 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 because, of, because of that experience. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I think this is a different aspect, because whenever I've heard, like I've seen a couple of videos and all, so I always felt that Bangladesh was not always happy with India. Like because of the kind of situation has been creating us. But I think this incident says a different story about it.
1: There is a section of Bangladesh who are still I feel a little closer to Pakistan. I have felt that. And so there is a little bit of I'm not saying distrust, but yeah, disinterest in India. But then there's a huge section of Bangladeshis and at least I came across because I was there mostly for work and I was meeting a lot of people. They they literally felt a very special connection with India, not as their you know immediate neighbor or something, but also because the sort of history that we two countries share. So right. they respect India because of it, and uh, I could feel it. It was there.
0: That's good to know. Like good to hear that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And in fact, the same thing I felt somewhat in Israel as well, because a lot of Israelis have come to India, so they know about India or they have heard about India. And yeah. uh, so they feel a little, a little closer to India as well. And some of them have come to India, so they started talking about India, they started sharing their experiences. Some of them um, have some of their friends or uh, cousins or someone who had, who have visited India, so they know something about India. So, I mean, those used to be like the star of conversation. So I felt very easy over there. I I wasn't feeling very different over
0: there.
1: Or like a foreigner or something. I felt like I'm in a place which at least knows me a bit. Correct. Right.
0: Very true. Talking about Bangladesh, what do you think? Like, is it safe to go? Because I think a lot of people think in their mind that Bangladesh is not a safe country to visit. What would you say? No, it's
1: very, very safe. Very, very safe.
0: Okay. Like you, in any way, you never felt that it was unsafe or anything at any point of time. No, no,
1: no. Not at all. Not at all. Okay. People are actually quite nice over there. Okay. Very, very hospitable people.
0: That's very nice. That's very nice. And a lot of people should put Bangladesh in their travel list also.
1: Yeah, they should. They should. I mean, they have the major part of the Sundarbans. Yeah, of so, course. <laughs> so for that, they should. They can go, definitely. Yeah. And did they you, have some nice you, places. Did you? Yeah, I went, you? I went there.
0: Okay that's great that's great so akash so this brings us to the end of our talk and it was wonderful speaking to you i had an amazing time speaking to you thank you for so so coming uh, thank you so much for coming on dastai rahi
1: thank you thanks a lot for inviting me
0: thank you and thank you everyone for joining we'll see you again next sunday with another wonderful traveler till then take care take care bye 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 akash Bye-bye.
1: bye everyone bye bye, bye.